This is the podcast for RUF at the University of Texas. A community for students to experience God's grace and express God's grace to others. For more information, visit www.ruf.org slash UT. Or find us on Instagram at TexasRUF. Scripture tonight is from Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 3, and it reads, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Amen. Thanks for reading that, Susie, and welcome everyone to RUF. My name is John Trapp. I'm the campus minister for RUF at UT, and we are so glad that y'all are all calling in with us, and we're also glad that hopefully this is our last Zoom, maybe ever. Please, Lord. Um, But if if this is your first call with us, I want you to know a little bit about what RUF is. We're a ministry where we, we actually believe that the good news of Jesus isn't for good people. I know that may sound kind of weird, but we believe that because but it's what Jesus says in the Bible. Jesus says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So what that means is no matter who you are tonight, um, God's word and God's grace can be for you. And uh, what we do in RUF is we gather around the Bible to see what it has to say about who God is and if he's really good and what that might mean for us. Um, so tonight we're going to look at this passage that Susie read for us when I, <laughs> Nicholas was making the slideshow earlier this morning. I was like, Hey, what passage are you preaching on? And I send it to him. I sent it to him. He was like, I love that verse. It's so star Warsy. And I, <laughs> I was like, you know, what? it, it totally is. It kind of sounds like it at the beginning and long ago. And the, you know, um, it sounds kind of epic. And I think that's because it's telling, it's telling a story. And the Bible, what I want to talk to you all about tonight is the Bible is a story. It's one big story, and it's the greatest epic story ever, and it's true. The Bible is one big true story. So two points for tonight. First, the story of Scripture, and second, the hero of Scripture. So let me pray for us, and we'll talk about this. Father, uh, I ask that the words of my mouth and that the thoughts and meditations of our heart would be pleasing and acceptable to you now, that you would meet us where we are. Um, I pray for students who are on this call who doubt you um, or who don't even believe you exist. Pray for students who are on this call who are tired, uh, who are discouraged, who are lonely. I pray for students who are on this call who um, need to be reminded of your goodness and encouraged. And we pray that wherever we are, that you would meet us, uh, you'd meet us through your word. And we pray and ask all this in Jesus name. Amen. So we're talking about the Bible as a story and we all love stories. We're, we're kind of obsessed with stories. Um, we love movies. We love podcasts. We love books. Our culture loves stories. And I think it's because we're made in the image of a storyteller. Think about this. Like if you were to ask me, John, what's your marriage with Christy like? The, the most boring way that I could tell you, it would be to like give you a data dump. Well, we met at Vanderbilt. We married in Austin, Texas. We have five kids. We've been married for 12 years. I could just kind of give you information and data about our relationship. But 
the interesting way to convey information is by story. So if I were to tell you about my relationship with Chrissy, it, you, you would probably find it much more interesting to hear how we met or how we fell in love or our first fight or how we spent a month in the hospital in a faraway city with our first child when he was born. Stories like that, they also convey information and they tell you about a relationship, but they tell it in a way that we connect with and in a way that's almost even more true because we get to hear all the little, the little parts in between the data. And I would suggest to you tonight, the reason that we love stories, the reason that we connect with stories is because we're made in the image of a storytelling God. In the Bible, God, he lets us know him, not by just giving us a cold data sheet about himself. I am all knowing. I am all powerful. I am all present. I exist outside of time and space. He could have done that to reveal himself to us. But instead, he lets us know who he is by telling us the true story of himself and our world. That's what the Bible is. It's the true story of God's plan to rescue the world. So what's the story of scripture? Well, it's summed up pretty well, at least the first half of it, with this Star Wars-y sounding verse that Susie read in Hebrews 1.1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Now, the prophets is shorthand for the Old Testament. That's what we would call the Old Testament now. And the Old Testament, if you read it, it reads like a story. And it's God letting us know who he is, not through a data dump, but through this narrative. And by the way, if you've ever read the Quran, for instance, it reads a lot more like a data sheet. Lots of details, commands, short vignettes that aren't really related with one another. It doesn't have this like big narrative arc that the Bible has. And by the way, for a long time, I didn't realize that the Bible had a narrative arc. Maybe this is the first time that you're hearing that all these 66 books of the Bible are actually telling one big story. So what's the Old Testament story? It's two-thirds of our Bible. It's pretty big, but a lot of us don't really know much about it. The Old Testament story begins with, in the beginning, God. It doesn't say once upon a time because God exists outside of time. It starts with the beginning, and God is just there. In the beginning, God. And the first thing that this God does, this storytelling God does, is he speaks. It's his first act. He begins to speak, and his speech actually brings forth creation. And the world is the substance of his word. That's what the Bible says, that we're actually made up of God words. That the whole cosmos and everything is made up of God word, God's words. I want to share some of that with you right now. Boom, reason, zoom, screen share. Check that out. This was released by NASA um, on Twitter back in November. You're probably thinking, okay, what is that? Is that like an image of like Diwali, like India on Diwali? It's like so colorful and crazy looking. Is that um, maybe some like fair? That is not a, um, it's not a fair. It's not a amusement park. That is the most accurate ever made cell or model of a single human cell. That is a single human cell model that was constructed by Stanford scientists. Look at that. that. There's like a whole story in that. And 30 trillion of those make up your body. And if you want to know how big a 30 trillion is, if you started counting, 
it would take you about a million years to count to 30 trillion. <laughs> that's a big number. And that's a lot. That's, that's a lot of data. Not, but it's, but doesn't it look like a story? It's amazing. And that's inside of you. That's how God's made you. And with his words, God creates that also side note. I thought y'all would be interested in this. Here is actually the scientist who discovered that. I thought y'all want to see that. Just kidding. That's a picture of Matthew Leggett in goggles, but I have it. And I just thought you guys should see it because I love that picture. Sorry, ladies. He's taken. All right. Back to, uh, back to my sermon. So what's up, John? (laughs) (laughs) Um, God spoke that crazy thing into existence. Or maybe, I mean, if you don't believe that, then you have to somehow believe that that insanely um, intricate human cell evolved from a single cell organism. Uh, And now there's 30 trillion of them that make up a human being. The Bible says in the beginning, God and God begins to speak. And in creation, God reveals his glory to his people in in his world and the amazing things that he makes, like I just showed you. And he makes Adam and Eve in his image so that they can be in relationship with God and with each other and with his creation. And all of this would bring God glory. Their job, Adam and Eve's job, was to rule over creation, to bring beauty and light and love into the world, which is, by the way, what God had just done. He had just brought beauty and light and love into the world. And so they were going to be like God to the world. And the only one that they were, that they were called to live under rule to is, is to, was to God. And they were, they were called to rule everything else. But in Genesis 3, the third chapter in the Bible, we see that Adam and Eve, they reject God as their king. They stop listening to his word. And instead, they listen to the word of the serpent and they trust themselves. And rather, I mean, here's the irony of the story of the Bible. Rather than being ruled by God, now Adam and Eve get ruled by everything else. They get ruled by sin. They get ruled by themselves. They get ruled by anxiety and shame and bullying and death and incest. And the worst kinds of violence, fatherlessness, oppression, racism, hunger, poverty, war, all of that stuff that I just listed is in the first book of the Bible, Genesis. That's what mankind gets ruled by. They choose that instead of being ruled by God. And the existence of sin and death in the world that Adam and Eve bring in, the the existence of sin and death in the world is the reason that you can be around thousands of people at UT and still be lonely. It's the reason you can have crippling anxiety before you go to a party with your friends. It's why you play all those awkward moments over and over in your head. It's why we say we care for the poor, but live most of our days as if we could care less about them. Sin is why we'll spend way more time than we like to admit looking at ourselves in the mirror or in a photo and ruthlessly, heartlessly critiquing ourselves. Sin is the reason we live in fear and insecurity. It's why you fear you won't measure up to your fathers. Or it may be the reason why you never had a good father or a father who cared about anything but your accomplishments or a father who is simply living for his own pleasure or his own ranch or his own business ventures or his new car and ignoring his family all along. Sin brought evil and death into this world. And it's the reason that far too many of our students have lost treasured members of their family or their own personal friends, as I know some of y'all have this week. And the Bible tells the true story of a God who hates death, who hates sin, 
and does not give up on his people, even when they give up on God and turn their backs on him and sin. And what the story of scripture tells us in, in all the way at the beginning in Genesis 3.15, only a few verses after Adam and Eve sinned, God promises to send a hero because he knows that they can't save themselves. He knows we can't save ourselves. He promises to send a hero from Eve's offspring to crush the serpent who brought in evil, to crush sin, to crush death itself. And this is the story. So verse one that Susie read, long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. So the true story of the Old Testament is that God is going to crush sin and death through the offspring of the woman. And every story and book of the Bible in the Old Testament is anticipating the fulfillment of that promise. Now, when you begin seeing this, y'all, it, it really does change the way that you read the Old Testament. And one of the things it does is it keeps you from making the Bible all about yourself. So, for instance, the story of like Abraham and Isaac in the book of Genesis God asks Abraham to sacrifice his son, Isaac, and, and Abraham is willing, but God stops him right before he, he brings the knife down on his, on his son. And the selfish kind of like, or like moralistic interpretation of that, that you may, I mean, I've probably like led Bible studies that have like this application and it's not a good one. It would go something like this. Now, if you are willing to sacrifice your most treasured possession, just like Abraham was willing to sacrifice his most treasured possession, if you're willing to do that, God will love you and bless you. That is a selfish, moralistic interpretation of that passage. Or we could, we, you maybe have heard that done with like the story of David and Goliath. That's a famous story. You know, David defeats Goliath with a sling and five smooth stones. What are the Goliaths in your life? What are the giants in your life? If you would just trust God, he will equip you to slay whatever stands in your path. That is a, a selfish interpretation of, the, of that text. And not only that, it's a moralistic interpretation of that text where the person who's really saving you is you. If you have enough trust, then God will equip you to slay whatever giants lay in your path. But the Old Testament is actually all about Jesus. And if you don't believe me, listen to Jesus himself. In Luke 24, 27, he shows up after he's resurrected. He's talking to these disciples who are walking on a road to Emmaus. And in, in verse 27, it says, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, that's another, another shorthand for the Old Testament. Beginning with the Old Testament, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Jesus has a Bible study with these guys and he shows them the whole thing was about me. It's all pointing to me. Jesus is the hero of scriptures. My second final point. The whole Bible is about Jesus. All of history is about Jesus. Listen again to verse two of what Susie read. Jesus is the heir of all things through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God. And Jesus is the exact imprint of God's nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, Jesus sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. What this is telling us, it's this story. It's the biblical story that everything was made by Jesus. Everything belongs to Jesus. Everything is upheld by Jesus. 
All of salvation was earned by Jesus and the world will be judged by Jesus and eternally made right by Jesus. And God is telling us a beautiful story about himself. He's letting us know who he is, not by giving us a data dump, but by giving us a story, a word. And the ultimate word isn't just a word. It's a person. It's what Hebrews 1 calls the final word or what John 1 says is the word made flesh. God becomes a person and lives in this story so that we can know who he is. So a couple of quick takeaways. First off, you can't save yourself from the curse of sin and death. Only Jesus can save you. And Christianity is that simple. Anyone who calls on the name of Jesus for salvation will be saved. And so my question is, have you? He's the only one who can do it. Also, when you read the Bible, I want you all to see that it's all about Jesus, every part of it. And this will keep us from a selfish moral interpretation of Scripture. I'm going to read a a long quote, maybe one of the longest quotes I've ever read um, in an RUF sermon, but it's just so good. It's from Tim Keller, and he's, he's talking about how all of the Scriptures point to Jesus. So listen to some of these stories that he illustrates this with. Jesus is the true and better Adam who passed the test in the garden and whose obedience is given to us. Jesus is the true and better Abel, who, though innocently slain, was, has blood now that cries out not for our condemnation, but for our acquittal. Jesus is the true and better Abraham, who answered the call of God to leave all the comfortable and familiar and go out into the void, not knowing whither he went to create a new people. Do you hear how it's all these Old Testament stories that Jesus is the better version of? It's all pointing to Jesus. Listen, Jesus is the true and better Isaac who was not just offered up by his father on the mountain, but was truly sacrificed for us. And when God said to Abraham, now I know you love me because you did not withhold your son, your only son whom you love from me. Now we can look at God taking his son up to the mountain and sacrificing him on the cross and say, now we know that you love us because you did not withhold your son, your only son whom you love from us. Jesus is the true and better Jacob who wrestled and took the blow of justice we deserved. So we, like Jacob, only receive the wounds of grace to wake us up and discipline us. Jesus is the true and better Joseph, who, um, who at the right hand of the king forgives those who betrayed and sold him and uses his new power to save them. Jesus is the true and better Moses, who stands in the gap between the people and the Lord and who mediates a new covenant. Jesus is the true and better Job, the truly innocent sufferer, who then intercedes for and saves his stupid friends. It's one of my favorite ones. Jesus is the true and better David, whose victory becomes his people's victory, though they never lifted a stone to accomplish it themselves. Jesus is the true and better Esther, who didn't risk leaving an earthly palace, but lost the ultimate and heavenly one, who didn't just risk his life, but gave his life to save his people. Jesus is the true and better Jonah, who was cast out into the storm so that we could be brought in. Jesus is the real Passover lamb, innocent, perfect, helpless, slain, so the angel of death will pass over us. He's the true temple, the true prophet, the true priest, the true king, the true sacrifice, the true lamb, the true light, the true bread. The Bible's not really about you. It's about him. And so my question for you is, do you know him? And if you don't know these stories, by the way, two encouragements to you. One would be to sign up for Mary Henley's Bible study that she's going to teach on the story of scripture. Second, get the Jesus storybook Bible. If that Old Testament like run through that I just gave you, like blew your mind, the Jesus storybook Bible 
is amazing for helping us see Christ and all of the scriptures. But here's the thing, and I'm going to talk more about this next week. Living in God's story, the reason that it's so important for all of us to see that this is all one big story, that the Bible is one big story, is because then we get to find our place in the story. Because when when we see all of God's story that's not yet finished and that we're living in the middle of right now, the Christian life becomes incredibly meaningful, incredibly meaningful and bigger than anything than, than just our little lives, but we get to be part of it and participate in the work of God bringing about redemption and restoration into the world. For a Christian, it means that this very short life that you have is incredibly significant. You get to participate in people hearing and seeing and believing and experiencing the good news of Jesus, the only one who can save you who can rescue us from the despair of eternal death and who offers us eternal joy. And that's an offer to anyone who's hearing this tonight. Let's pray. We praise you, Lord Jesus, Lamb of God. You made all things. You entered into the world to redeem all things. You rule over all things. You are kind and patient and full of grace to sinners who come to you, ready to save any from death and hopelessness. Give us the faith to believe. We praise you, the one who sits on the throne. And to you, may there be all blessing and honor and glory and power and might forever and ever. Amen.